I, I, I mentioned when it was. But I'm not sure when it is. Is it February? Does anyone know? June, July-ish, something like that? Okay, so next summer then. So get ready, and uh, next summer we'll have another opportunity for more of us to join in then. Well, as you know, or as I've kind of, uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? As I alluded to here with the children, today we're going to be talking about the story about the landowner and the vineyard workers, and that comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, uh, and it's the first 16 verses. So I invite you to hear these words. Jesus is speaking And he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about 3 o'clock, he did the same. And about 5 o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired, about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we come to you joyfully this morning thankful for the ways in which you have been at work in our lives, thankful for the opportunity to celebrate you. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So I mentioned last week and and previously that when it comes to parables, we really need to be able to keep all of it in context, to remember uh, that the parables didn't occur in a vacuum. In fact, typically they happened uh, because Jesus was responding to something that was going on around him. And surely that's the case in this particular situation. Uh, Jesus has been talking a little bit about the kingdom of heaven, about God's kingdom, and how dramatically different it is than the kingdom of the world of which we are a part. 
Earlier, uh, just before this, he had to talk to a wealthy person and had to talk to him about how difficult it is for a wealthy person to get in to heaven. And then he had to respond to Peter, who wanted to know what rewards he and the other disciples were going to have. And, and then, um, right after this parable, uh, he has to deal with James and John's mother, who, who want to know, who make a request whether or not her sons can sit on the right and the left of Jesus in his kingdom. It's hard for us to understand God's kingdom because it is so dramatically different than the one in which we live. So this parable then is trying to paint a different picture, trying to give us a different model for how the kingdom of God will look. It's the story of the landowner. The landowner goes out. He needs to find some workers for his vineyard. So he goes out in the morning, and there's a, a group of men that are gathered around in a common place, and so he chooses some of them and says, let's go out to the vineyard. And I'm sure they have that here in Indianapolis someplace. I have not seen it, but I know in Chicago and certainly in California, uh, you would go, and sometimes uh, for us, I remember at the Home Depot, there would just be a, a massive group of men who are just there and who are waiting and hoping that someone will drive by and pick them up, right? This either someone would come by and a truck or in a van, and they'd take a few, and then the others would be left behind. And it was this kind of vulnerable feeling. You could feel it of, of not knowing that day whether or not you were going to be able to work, not knowing that day whether or not you were going to be able to provide for yourself or for your family. And so those men who got picked early in the morning, they were excited, as you can imagine. This day they were going to have food. This day they could provide. And yet in equal measure... How depressed and hopeless would those have been who were left, who did not know if yet that they would be picked at all to work. And so they had to stay there waiting, probably waiting in hopes that they would get hired and also maybe deciding to not go home, not yet, not wanting to face the reality that they would have to tell their families they weren't able to work that day. The landowner came back. Perhaps to some of their surprise, at noon he came back and he, he sees some more workers and he says, okay, well, let's take some more of you. And so they went. And, of course, those that went at noon, they had to be excited again, even more excited perhaps. We thought that there was no chance and now we're, we're able to go. This is, this is wonderful. And the ones, though, who were left behind probably feeling even more sad than they had been before. They'd had one more chance and it hadn't worked out again. Then at 3 o'clock, most surprising, the landowner comes back again. I mean, I mean they know that the, that the time ends at 6 o'clock. There's only so much light that you can harvest. And so they knew that there wasn't much time. But at 3 o'clock, the landowner came back. They couldn't believe it. And so some of them were picked and were excited and others, again, who were left behind in an even worse state. Well, by this point, of course, those who didn't get picked. They had to know that they were in trouble. There's no way someone's going to come towards the end. And so the clock just kept going, 3.30 4, 4.30, just an hour before closing time. And the landowner shows up. And he says to them, well, why, why are you here standing idle? Why, why aren't you working? And they say to him, I guess it is some with sadness and perhaps with just a tinge of anger. Well, because nobody has hired us, yourself included, mister. So the landowner says, well, then, Let's go. And all of a sudden, much to their surprise, all of a sudden, they're a part of the vineyard. And there they are. They're working. They can't believe it. They thought there was no way they were going to make any money. 
So there they are for one hour only. They work, and all of a sudden, it's the end of the day. The whistle blows. It's no more working. And so the landowner says to the steward explicitly, and he says it explicitly because this is not typical protocol. He says, I want you to pay them, but I want you to pay them from the last person that I hired until the first. Usually you would pay the person who started first and then go to the last. And so the steward does that. He gives the last person a denarius, a day's wage. And you know that everyone was happy when they saw that. I mean, the person who only worked an hour, they couldn't believe their fortune. I mean, they worked one hour and they got a whole day's wage. I mean, that's like a pastor, right? And so, yeah, amen. I know. I'm trying to beat you to it. So, I mean, that's a dream, right? And so, all right, phenomenal. So there you worked, you know, you worked one hour, and then the rest of them had to be getting excited as well, especially the ones who got hired first because they said, we've worked 12 hours. Typically, you would go to work around 6 in the morning. We've worked 12 hours. We are going to get 12 denarii. This is going to be incredible, which is why, not surprisingly, they grumbled. They were angry. When the landowner or the steward gives them yet just one. So they express it. They express their anger as they should have, quite frankly. This is not fair. And the landowner says, friend, isn't, <laughs> isn't this what we agreed to in the morning? That you would get this one denarii? Is it, is it my money? Can I give to whomever I want to give with my money? Are you envious? Because I am generous? Are you envious? Because I am generous. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. This is a particularly poignant uh, parable, it seems to me. It just does a masterful job of painting a vivid picture of just how different the kingdom of God is to the kingdoms of which we reside. There's a lot of things, of course, that we learn about the kingdom. One of them is, is how strange it is that the landowner is actually the one who goes out to get the workers, This would not have been typical. The landowner is a busy person. He's got important things to do. In fact, if you're reading the parable and you know the culture, you would be surprised that there was a steward at all that all of a sudden popped up because you would have assumed if it was the landowner who was looking for workers, there must not be a steward, but there is. And yet the landowner thought that it was important enough of a job for him to go out and in person to find those who he wanted to work in his harvest. It's not a giant leap to go from the landowner to see that clearly this is Jesus. And this is a great Advent parable, quite frankly, because it is the reality that rather than just sending somebody else, God said, I am going to come in person in order to show you how much I love you, how important of a job this is to show you how much I care and how much I want you to be a worker. I could have sent anyone. I could have sent the steward, but I am coming down. Jesus Christ, God himself. He did not have something more important to do that we are the important things that he he had to do. And that's a remarkable picture. But not only that Jesus comes down himself, but that the landowner just keeps coming. He comes in the morning 
and then at noon, and then at three, and then at five. In other words, this Jesus is relentless. There are some of you perhaps who are here who wish that Jesus would stop coming after you. Maybe it comes in a form of a spouse or somebody else or a friend or a parent, and you wait, can you just leave me alone? And Jesus says, <laughs> not till closing time. And there are others of you who perhaps are grieving over a loved one who are wondering, when is this person ever going to receive Jesus? Are they ever going to kind of take that call and become a part of the worker? And Jesus says, here's what I want you to know in this parable. This is a parable for you that Jesus will not stop. He will come at 6. He will come at 9. He will come at noon. He will come at 3. He will come at 5. He keeps coming. So we have a landowner, we have a God who says, I'm going to come personally. We have a God who says, I'm going to keep coming, I'm going to be relentless. And then kind of piggybacking off of last week's parable, we have a God who is remarkably generous. Generosity that, quite frankly, probably is a little bit uncomfortable. We aren't all that comfortable, someone has suggested, with just pure generosity because it is so uh, different, so antithetical to how our society works. We're a, a quid pro quo kind of society. If you give me this or if I give you this, you'll give me that, right? We are very skeptical of generosity. It doesn't make us comfortable at all. We always want to try to repay it in some way. And yet one of the things that this parable reveals is not only is it sometimes hard for us to receive generosity, it is also at times hard for us to accept generosity that God has on others. Jesus could have created this parable however he wanted to. But Jesus intentionally does a parable or tells a parable, creates a parable in a way that will annoy and get under our skin. This is a parable that could have been just a a feel-good parable, right? Everything could have happened just exactly as it did if Jesus would have allowed the normal protocol to occur. If he would have said, okay, that's great. Now the first morning workers, you get paid first. And if they had gotten paid first, they'd have said, ha ha, we got our money. This is exactly what we had said. This is great. And they would have been on their way. And they would have been at home saying, hey, we've got food. This is phenomenal. And then the steward would have made his way on. And the person who got hired at five o'clock would say, oh, this is fine. You know what? I can't believe it. We got a whole denarius. But the people who got hired first wouldn't have even known. But Jesus did not want us to be happy. He did not want them to just kind of say, well, isn't that nice? He wanted to tell them how different the kingdom of God works. And so he totally changed this parable. He changed the protocol. Because remember, the first hired would have been content with God's generosity if they hadn't started comparing it to what the others had received. And because they did, all of a sudden, it began to feel remarkably unfair. Since we've been talking about this parable as a staff, there was a staff member who sent me a video that in many ways is just the perfect depiction of this parable. So I'm going to show it for you all. It's just a couple minutes long. Some of the audio is sometimes a little bit difficult to understand. Here are the important things to know. There are monkeys. There are cucumbers, which are the lesser food. And there are grapes, which are much better. Got it? 
Monkeys, cucumber, grapes. Let's watch that. So a final experiment that I want to mention to you is our fairness study. Uh, and so this, this became a very famous study, and there's now many more, because after we did this about 10 years ago, uh, it became very well known. And we did that originally with capuchin monkeys, and I'm going to show you the first experiment that we did. It has now been done with dogs, and with birds, and with chimpanzees. Um, with, but with Sarah Brosnan, we started out with capuchin monkeys. So what we did is we put two capuchin monkeys side by side. Again, these animals, they live in a group. They know each other. We take them out of the group, put them in a test chamber. And there's a very simple task that they need to do. And if you give both of them cucumber for the task, the two monkeys side by side, they're perfectly willing to do this 25 times in a row. So cucumber, even though it's really only water in my opinion, but cucumber <laughs> is perfectly fine for them. Now, if you give the partner grapes, the food preferences of my capuchin monkeys correspond exactly with the prices in the supermarket. And so if you give them grapes, it's a far better food, uh, then you create inequity between them. So that's the experiment we did. Recently, we videotaped it with new monkeys who had never done the task, thinking that maybe they would have a stronger reaction, and that turned out to be right. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape, and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber, and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. She tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> so this is basically the Wall Street protest that you see here. Well, it's nice to know that it's not just humans who wrestle with these kinds of things. You see, Jesus didn't want to just ignore the reality of what he knew, that all of us would be tempted. Tempted to live our lives by comparing ourselves to others and having our own contentedness be contingent upon whether or not we think people covet what we have or whether or not we covet what they have. Again, the early workers would have been fine if they hadn't realized what the later workers had received. And all of a sudden, they felt like they had been dealt with unjustly and unfairly. And unfortunately, what was true of the people in this ancient parable continues to be true for most of us. I was thinking this week, and I couldn't help but be reminded of something that happened to me a little while back now. 
just within the last couple of years, unfortunately. I can't tell you it was any further back than that. I was sitting on my sofa uh, at our house, and I was there, and I was just kind of reflecting for a little while, right? Sometimes uh, we do this, perhaps, and, and I was just reflecting on my life right then, and I was probably just a little after 40 or something. I don't know. I was having some kind of midlife crisis, and I was thinking, and I was like, you know what? I'm pretty happy. I mean, I've got, I, I'm serving this, and I'm really not saying this to butter you up. I'm serving a great church, a church I really enjoy serving, a, a place I love to pastor. And I've got a wonderful wife. Uh, I mean, we have a great relationship. I've got four beautiful daughters. Um, you know, we love the area that we live in. We love our little house. I mean, it's, it's just, it's great. I was really happy. And then I got on Facebook. Uh-huh. And I'm scrolling down, and all of a sudden there's this picture there of a buddy of mine that I went to seminary with. And I thought, oh, this is a good guy. I love this guy, you know. Uh, and, and, and he's also, right, he's, he's serving a church that he really loves serving at. He's been there for several years now. He's living in an area that he loves to live. I mean, he loves it. He's got a wonderful wife, and they seem to have a great relationship. He also has four beautiful daughters, right? You get it. It's all the same. It's perfect, right? And so I look at the picture, and there he is up on a stage in front of hundreds of people with my mentor. And they're just sitting up there together, talking to lots of people about the work of the church. And I would love to tell you that when I saw that, I thought to myself, oh, it's so good to see God at work there. But what I began to think to myself is, well, how come Corey gets to do that? I mean, what, I got nothing to say to people? Why can't I be up there? Why, why is he with my mentor? That's my mentor. Why is he up there with him? And I thought to myself, as I got off of Facebook, I thought to myself, I am in such a different place right now than I was just five minutes ago, and nothing in my life had changed. I was still the pastor here. I still had a great wife. I still had four wonderful daughters. I still love this area. But now, because I know that Corey is with my mentor in front of all of these people, I am disgruntled. It is not fair. See, this is the problem that happens when we begin comparing ourselves to others rather than simply being grateful for what we have received. Something I was reading this week, though, pointed out that as long as that continues to be the case, as long as we are comparing ourselves to others, we will always be disgruntled because our own sense of fairness and what is fair and what is just almost always comes from a self-centered perspective. Think about this. If you are married, think about the work and the chores that each of you have. For how many of you do you feel with some frequency that perhaps you're doing a little bit more of the work than your spouse is? I'm not going to ask you to raise. Okay, there's one hand raised. Thanks. You got to know when to raise your hand and when not to, Sean. I appreciate the honesty. Right? And why is that? Because we know everything that we do. Right? And what we see for whatever the other person's role is, is typically only the things that they have left undone. 
And so there is always this sense of, well, I've done just a little bit more, right? There's always this sense of this isn't quite fair, right? Or if you, were, if you had siblings when you were growing up, right? Some of you are still young now, but even when you get older, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up. And oftentimes there is time spent talking about, well, mom was always nicer to you. Or, you know, dad let you get away with everything, right? How many of you, you can raise your hand again, Sean, how many of you, right? For whom that, that just is kind of typical, right? Because we see everything through our own perspective. And so what seems just and fair is always tainted by ourselves. And I think that that's probably the case even when it comes to how we view this particular parable. Barbara Brown Taylor suggests that probably 99% of us, when we read this parable, if we put ourselves in the parable, we put ourselves in the position of the early morning worker. Most of us just kind of make an assumption Well, yeah, we're there because, of course, we're always the one. I could show you a whole list of everything we do for the church, of everything we do for our family, of everything we do at work. And, yeah, we're there all the time. And look at those people over there. They're always getting away with everything. They can do whatever they want. And and look at me, though. Look at at all of this, right? And and, and she says, "What what if we started reframing this? What if we started seeing ourselves perhaps a bit more accurately as the five o'clock worker? Because the reality is, that most of us are five o'clock workers. There will always be pastors who wake up earlier than I do, who pray more than I do, who do a better job of pastoral care, who preach better sermons than I do. There will always be those people. There will always be the Mother Teresas around that put most of us to shame. There will always be those people who wake up in the morning and they can't wait to go out and love their neighbor. And then there are the rest of us. The five o'clock workers who we, who we do, okay, we love our neighbors one day, but then we try to hide from them the next. We say we're going to be generous, that's it, we're going to do it, but we let the anxieties of the world start to shrivel that generosity. We say we're going to commit to prayer, we're going to start praying more every day, and three days later we've forgotten the commitment that we made. And we get to the end of the day and we think, oh, we have been idle all day, we haven't done anything And we look, and there's Jesus, because he's come back. And I wonder, what would it look like if we began to see ourselves perhaps a bit more accurately as a five o'clock worker? Might it not begin to change how we see everything? Might we then, instead of kind of wondering why this other person seems to get everything and be more, why God is more generous to them, might we not be so much more joyful because we can't believe that we came at five and that God continues to be generous for us, that even though we've kind of messed things up the rest of the day, that here we've received this Jesus, we can't believe it. We are too busy spending time giving thanks for that, that we don't have time to find out how everyone else seems to be getting the breaks that we are not. Might we not be in a place then where we want to celebrate and not envy God's generosity to others? And how might that change not just you and your own personal life? How might it change even us as a body? Because what Jesus understood, and it's why he told the parable as he did, is that the kingdom of God is going to come through a community of people who know that they are five o'clock workers and who are so excited about God's generosity that they don't have the time or the care to be comparing themselves to others because they are too busy giving God the praise for the generosity and the grace that he has given to them. That the community of God, the kingdom of God is going to come through a community of people who are not envious, but who are supporting and who are celebrating what God is doing in other places.
that a kingdom of God is going to come through a kind of people who are excited about the one denarius they have, who can't believe it, who are okay eating the cucumbers, and who are joyful simply to be a part of the work of the harvest of the Lord. It's a community that decides that instead of always comparing, we are simply going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate how God has taken us, a community of five o'clock workers, in order to further his kingdom, one hour at a time. Stop comparing. Start celebrating. Because God has done much for you and for me. May it be so. Amen? Amen.